0: Brent Venables had some thoughts on the offensive play calling. We got the first college football playoff rankings of the 2022 season. And could Jeff Levy be in line for some of these coaching positions on the coaching carousel this offseason? We'll talk about that on today's episode of locked on Sooners.
1: You are locked on Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day.
0: What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners, and thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My guy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You also hear him Monday through Friday from 9... to noon on 94 7 the ref in norman josh we got brent venables speaking for 51 minutes he must have been feeling in a pretty good mood after the oklahoma Sooners' second straight win
1: well that's exactly it right i was just about to say i mean it's almost as though oklahoma and the sooners have won two games in a row right we're getting these 50 minute press conferences again from Brent Venables. yeah he's got to uh gotta be in a good mood and he should be uh, obviously uh the team's playing better
0: they are playing better. And one of the kind of the intriguing things, I mean, he had a lot of great things to say you know, about this team as it continues to move forward and, and build upon what they've done over the last couple games. But the, the interesting thing that he had to say was in response to, you know, how Oklahoma is a, is attacking using the deep ball and not to read this whole quote, but let, let's read a little bit and then we can kind of riff off of it. But he says, well, I mean, there's a delicate balance. At some point in time, you know, right? Hey, chief, that isn't working right. But now if they were just blanketed and the guys aren't not open, that's different. I think if you're alluding to what you're alluding to is that there's probably four times that we had a plus, a step plus and just couldn't quite get it done. I thought the play designs, a couple of them were really, really excellent play designs to get guys open. That's part of it, which was good because these offensive coordinators, like they have this great play and they come out in the first 10 plays, they run it. And then you're like, where And the heck did that play go that worked so well? And I think sometimes you think, well, I've got all these other plays. I got to get to them. Other plays, right? All these amazing plays. And then we forget the ones that work. So I'm literally like, hey, Jeff, you know, that one where where we had three receivers, the triple post. Call that again. That one was wide open. So I read this whole quote. And, man, I got to say, it's kind of hard to read a Brent Venables quote Um, uh, just as it is. So I think what he's kind of saying is probably a, a bit of a frustration that most people have with play calling in general when you watch it um, whether you're on the sidelines or you're watching it at home on your television I know for a long time you watch a, an offensive play caller you know dial up you know three four runs in a row and it gains good yardage and they're very productive in those situations and then all of a suddenly really, without any rhyme or reason they move away from it and decide hey we're gonna drop straight back to pass. We're not going to use play action. We're just going to do a little five-step drop and try and hit something deep. And you're like, where did that come in from and why? And why aren't we still running the football? And yeah, I, I think what what Venables is alluding to at times is that, hey, we got some good plays in the bag, things that are working. Let's kind of stick with some things that are working. In relation to the deep ball in particular, it's not been um, very consistent this year. I think some, some of it is, you know, we're running a lot of like go routes and it doesn't seem like Dylan Gabriel and Marvin Mims just have the right kind of chemistry on those go routes on the outside, whether it's on the left or the right side of the field. A lot of times it seems like it's, it's either, you know, Gabriel's overthrowing Marvin Mims uh, by a step or two, or they're just not on the same page at where to get that ball down the field. And so I do think that they can improve in their deep ball passing. I think at times it's still fairly productive. And I always operate under this theory that even if you're not hitting them, the fact that you're throwing them still threatens the defense. It still makes them think, hey, at any point in time, Dylan Gabriel could hit Marvin Mims down the field, and he's not going to not throw it. He's going to try and make that play down the field. So we're going to continue to be aware that Marvin Mims can beat us downfield. Jaleel Farouk could beat us downfield. So we got to be careful with that. But I do like what Venables is saying here and kind of goes into everything that he's kind of talked about all season long. And, and a little bit of that is accountability. And I found it interesting that he was willing to kind of talk about his play caller a little bit and mention, hey, sometimes we just got to go back to something
1: that worked." Yeah, I know. Novel idea, right? Stick with what is is working out there. And I think Brent Venables is mindful of all of this, uh, like he said, right off the top in uh, that quote. And I'm assuming that from this all Sooners article that John Hoover put together, that we're, we're kind of, kind of riffing off of here. I'm assuming it's in chronological order. Right. And uh, that preventables opened up and said, Hey, it's a delicate balance. Right. And and that speaks to your point that, yeah, you want to call plays that test the defense vertically, even if frankly, right now, Oklahoma, you know, the better part of the season, John, hasn't necessarily been good testing teams vertically or at least in certain ways that they've tried to test teams vertically. Right. I mean, it, I was trying to find on pro football focus, some of the uh, graded um, throws according to depth and like passing yardage through the air. If you can help me with that, John would be, would be great. But uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like, you know, some of the stuff from 20 plus downfield necessarily has always been great or maybe just a specific target targets. Maybe it's just, you know, a, a couple of guys like Mims here and there that you expect to see more of those footballs get completed, and they just kind of haven't to this point. Um, but I don't know. You know, I mean, to me, do you feel like Oklahoma has tried the deep ball one too many times, or did you feel that way versus Iowa State?
0: No, I didn't feel like they've been trying it too many times. I like that they're going to throw it. It's not always going to be a hit. Like your your you know best completion percentages. Um, on deep balls, you know, they're, I mean, Dylan Gabriels could be better. It's like 34%. Uh, but you look at, let's see, Bo Nix, you know, on, on throws of 20 or more yards, he's hitting 56.7% of his throws. Uh, Will Howard at Kansas state, 61.5 max Duggan, 56.8. Um, and so, you know, they could be better. Hendon hooker, Heisman front runner, 50% of his you know throws greater than 20 yards. Uh, Jason Bean still hitting at 50%. So yeah, it can be better. It can be more efficient, but you still got to throw it when there's an opportunity to throw it. You've got you've to challenge teams down the field. You just got to make them think about it. Like it's the threat of it that's as important and really as effective a lot of times as even just, I won't say as effective, that's dumb, but it's it's an effective part of your offense even if you're not hitting at an efficient rate because it just tells teams, hey, we're going to throw it. You better be ready to defend it. And even when you don't throw it, that means that they're having to keep an eye on it. They're going to have to be mindful of it. Even when your first read is, you know, a five-yard slant or you're trying to hit a 10-yard out, something like that. It keeps defenses mindful of it. And, you know, going into last week, and I'll have to look it up real quick, but Dylan Gabriel had completed the second most uh, throws of 20 yards or more uh, only to Max Duggan in the Big 12. Um, and so this is a guy, you know, a team that's been, I feel like, pretty good, uh, this season at throwing the ball down the field. Um, again, can it be more efficient? Absolutely. But I think it's something that's going to have to continue to get better.
1: Well, and I'd be interested to know how kind of, you know, all of those stats got put together because if the 34% on throws down the field more than 20 yards is correct, right, then that tells you that those plays that, you know, football travels 20 yards in the air hasn't been particularly inefficient number, John. I mean, that's a large percentage away from Duggan's percentage and from even Will Howard and just a, you know, what, like a start and a half, his percentage, what it looks like. And obviously, you know, what a couple of the guys nationally that are playing, you know, some of the best quarterback, delivering some of the best quarterback play nationally, it's kind of a far cry from that. So is it then – you know, some of the catch and run stuff where, you know, it's 15 yards downfield and all of a sudden those are turning no. into 20, 20. Uh, no, no, no. 20 yards.
0: These are, these are throws that go at least 20 yards down the field. It doesn't, it doesn't account for yard out yards after catch or, um, you know, a, a screen pass that goes for 20 yards. These are straight up attempts that go beyond 20
1: yards. Okay. And that's uh on Gabriel having the second most in the big 12 is still that way.
0: Yeah. So going into last week, where he's at now, he's got 14 completions on throws, 20 yards or more down the field, which is third in the big 12 behind Matt behind Max Duggan behind Spencer Sanders. Um, and then that completion percentage is 10th amongst qualifying big 12 quarterbacks that have at least 13 uh, attempts, 20 yards down the field. So, you know, there he's throwing it, I would say, you know, about middle of the pack. I mean, he's sixth in attempts like percentage of his throws that go more than 20 yards down the field. He's sixth in the Big 12. So they're not throwing it as much as you know Texas was. Like Hudson Card was first before, you know, ceding to uh Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers is fourth. Uh Will Howard, Jason Bean, they're kind of up there too, with uh, as far as quarterbacks who throw the ball down the field the most. Uh so Dylan Gabriel is just he's sixth. He's kind of right there, but not throwing it the most, but not also the most efficient either. You know, against Iowa State, it wasn't great. They they could have been better on that front. But going into the game, they had been doing fairly well uh, on throws greater than 20 yards down the field, I felt like.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, from those numbers tells us a couple of things, John. It's that, obviously, Oklahoma's doing it quite a bit, right? And, you know, to a little bit of what Brent was talk was talking about there, are they maybe – calling those types of plays a little bit too much, or the types of plays, again, like Venables talked about, John, is it just schematically the plays that they're calling, right? Don't overthink it. If uh, the post route is working, call the post route, right? And then all of a sudden that number that's at 34% completion percentage, maybe maybe that winds up closer to 50% once it's all said and done. So that's interesting. Something that I don't know, I guess I hadn't really deep dove into, but we know clearly from kind of day one this season that Oklahoma's hit on several shots down 20 plus or more, but it definitely has not been as consistent or as accurate as, you know, some of Oklahoma's better quarterbacks pass. So that's an area clearly that OU could improve on.
0: Yeah. And sorry, I, I don't, man, I'm really having a hard time reading numbers tonight, but he's actually fourth in the Big 12 on completions of 20 yards or more. Uh, going into the game, though, I mean, he was completing at 37%. So still not great, but I think it. I think it's efficient enough, you know, uh, to make it a threat. Obviously, you want to complete every pass. You want to hit every big play. Some of it ha- is also on the wide receivers. Like you got to make plays when the plays are there to make. Some of it is making sure that you're getting out of your breaks right. You're getting down the field. And Dylan Gabriel, Marvin Mims, they just got to work on that. Like this receiving core just has to work on the chemistry of that downfield throw. And it's a hard thing to do in practice to simulate it against coverage, but they got to work on it. They got to get better. Um, I, I, I'm i still of the mind that you throw it. It's like when you run the football, even if you're not being effective or efficient running the football, you still run the football because it at least has the threat, the the illusion that you're going to run the football um, so that play action passes, more effective, things like that. Now, they say that play-action pass is more effective regardless of whether you run the football effectively or not, but running the football at least keeps the the defense honest, keeps them focused on, okay, if they hand it off, then I got to account for it. I can't just drop back into coverage even if they're not being effective running the football. So, again, they got to be better, but still throw it. Don't shy away from throwing the deep ball just because it hasn't been the best part of your offense. It hasn't killed you. Like he hasn't thrown an interception on on ball on a ball down 20 yards or more down the field. So
1: well, I think the important thing is Oklahoma might might just have to rethink a little bit, not necessarily that they're throwing it 20 plus yards down the field, just how they're throwing it 20 plus yards down the field or when they're throwing it 20 plus yards down the field, the way that they structure their sequencing of plays together or the route concepts that they're running, right? Like there probably is a fix there to some degree now don't totally abandon it but but fix it to some degree speaking of jeff levy there's uh, obviously one big job opening down at uh auburn already that's open and who knows right i mean with some some other dominoes there might be i don't know it'll miss job opening at some point let's talk about that with uh jeff levy first linkedin jobs it's here to make it easier for you to find the people that you want to talk to faster and uh to help you for free hire the people that you want to hire so create a free job post in minutes on linkedin jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people you just add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your linkedin profile to spread the word that you're hiring that way your network can help you find the right people that you want to hire simple tools Like screening questions, they make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and obviously who you'd like to hire. That's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. And uh, check them out again for free, linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Is Jeff Levy a serious candidate at uh, Auburn how much of it I mean we just spent you know you know upwards of 12 minutes or so talking about how Jeff Levy maybe one area they can improve offensively at Oklahoma but the track record sort of speaks for itself so far for Jeff Levy and there is still plenty of season left for this Oklahoma offense to kind of wow some people right so with that in mind is Jeff Levy a legitimate candidate in your mind for Auburn? Should Oklahoma fans be worried about that? Or what has to happen the rest of the way for that to be a serious possibility?
0: I don't think he's in the realm of possibility right now for Auburn. You look at a lot of the kind of the preseason, who's the next you know, offensive or defensive coordinator to, to get a job. And Jeff Levy's name popped up on a lot of those lists. Now, again, it's national media lists. You don't know what the, the schools are thinking or the universities or their ADs or presidents are thinking, but his name was on a lot of those, whether it's ESPN or CBS sports or USA today, his name was mentioned. He's had nothing but success as an offensive coordinator everywhere. He's gone so far. He's still young in the coaching game for the most part. Uh, I mean, he got started young, but he's still young. Uh, he's only been an offensive coordinator for six years, I believe, uh, dating back to his time with Southeastern. So he's still got a lot of kind of growing that he can do at the position before he takes a head coaching job. I don't think Auburn is going to be the place that he lands, but I do think Ole Miss, I mean, he's got recent you know history with Ole Miss. Now, this is obviously if Lane Kiffin – were to go to Auburn as is being kind of the, is being bandied about a little bit. Everybody's kind of considering him one of the favorites for that job, which I don't know why you'd go from Ole Miss to Auburn. It seems like a lateral move, but in college football over the last, you know, 10, 11 months, we've seen a lot of lateral moves, whether it was Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma to USC or Brian Kelly from Notre Dame to LSU or Mario Cristobal from Oregon to Miami. It just seems like there's been a lot of these, kind of lateral type of moves in college football lately that you never know what's going to happen. And with a guy like Lane Kiffin, you really never know what's going to happen. It just seems like he's a guy that, you know, uh, goes to the beat of his own drum a little bit. So I, I don't think that Jeff Levy is really a threat to be hired away this coaching cycle, but at some point the question will, you know, really start popping up in earnest. I feel like not just this season, if it even comes up this season, But next season or, you know, after a couple of years of Jackson Arnold at quarterback, like especially when Jackson Arnold gets to Norman and if he has the success that we think that he's going to have with the Oklahoma Sooners, then it'll be a matter of time until somebody starts looking at what Jeff Levy's doing offensively and says, I'd really like to have that at my university for my football program. And I was having this conversation with a couple of my guys from Sooners wire uh, yesterday, I believe. And and we're talking in, I don't think that he goes to just some random power five job. I think he'll look at what happened with Brent Venables who bided his time and waited for a really, really good, really great power five job opening to be an opportunity. And then, and then if he decides to go to be a head coach, that's kind of when he jumps, he's not going to go somewhere like Arizona or Arizona state. He's not going to go to some place like, I don't know, pick your seller dwell. He's not going to Nebraska, you know, like he's not going to a random power five job that doesn't have much recent history of success. He's going to hold out and wait for a job kind of similar to like an Auburn or an Ole Miss. Even if it's not this cycle is going to be something like that down the road.
1: Yeah, I would, I would say that probably now Jeff Levy, just based on the way that this season started now, look, if Dylan Gabriel this time next year is the, the quarterback that's back in Oklahoma, which it feels like it's trending that direction, right? And all of a sudden, if Dylan Gabriel and Oklahoma at this time of the season are unbeaten and Dylan Gabriel is a Heisman candidate, okay, maybe I'll walk this statement back. But I kind of think that for Jeff Levy to get a, a job like Auburn, right, I think that it's probably going to be the quarterback after Dylan Gabriel, that kind of the success there, that combination – leads into that you know big job I'm with you though if uh Lane Kiffin were to get hired by Auburn then Jeff Levy would be a serious serious candidate I would think at Ole Miss just because of the the recency there and the fact that uh, obviously he was very very successful offensively and I think he would get the stamp of approval from Lane Kiffin on the way out right so all of those factors I think would play into his ability to uh to be one of the top candidates for Ole Miss if that opening did in fact come open, if Lane Kiffin, not necessarily, John, even just goes to Auburn. Lane Kiffin, what if he goes to Nebraska, right? I mean, that seems like the, I mean, Lane Kiffin does not seem, and this is strange to say, he doesn't seem like a cold weather coach to me, right? Just because, you know, he's been at at USC and in Tennessee, and obviously uh, then revitalized himself at Alabama. And now has had a bunch of success at Ole Miss, but it's not out of the realm of possibility for Nebraska who wants to get involved in the name image likeness game to just throw a big sum at somebody like Lane Kiffin to try and get that sizzle up in Lincoln. And if that happens, and if you would seriously consider it, then again, the Ole Miss job comes open. And I think Jeff Levy's a legitimate candidate there, but outside of that, I think, uh, and I think, you know, probably none of this is going to happen. I think Lane Kiffin probably stays put at Ole Miss and, that probably uh, erases a lot of your fears because I don't think right now Sooner fans have to worry about Jeff Levy getting that Auburn job. Maybe two or three years from now, but not right now today.
0: Yeah, totally agree with that. I think we're still a ways away from Jeff Levy taking a head coaching job uh, somewhere. I think, again, Brent Venables is is proof that being patient can really work out for you. No reason to jump at just any power five job available uh, coming up. Hey, we got some college football playoff rankings to talk about. We're going to do that. But first, let me talk to you about bet online. The Oklahoma Sooners head into their matchup with Baylor as three and a half point favorites over at bet online. The over under right now is sitting at 56 and a half. That, that's kind of looking at like a, another tight game potentially for the Oklahoma Sooners and one that won't necessarily be a shootout. But the Baylor Bears, they're averaging 39 points per game. Oklahoma's averaging a lot of points per game as well. So you never know what's going to happen on that front. Go to bet online. It's the number one source for sports betting and information. They've got the lines, odds and scores that you need to get in on the action. Again, that's bet online. The number one place for all your sports betting needs. They got you covered on MMA, major league baseball, boxing, golf, NBA, NHL, college football. It doesn't matter your sport. They got it covered over at BetOnline. Again, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online is where the game starts. Okay, Josh, you got the college football playoff rankings that came down the pike tonight. I'm recording this on Tuesday night. So the initial surprise for me here, Tennessee, number one. I like what Tennessee has done all year. I'm just surprised that they were, would be willing to put Tennessee number one just based on what we've seen this year and not considering what Georgia has been doing the last couple of years, what Ohio state's been doing this year as well. I figured it was probably going to be Georgia or Ohio state at number one. And then the other one would be number two. And then Tennessee would probably come in at number three.
1: Yeah. I don't even know if it's Tennessee being number one. That is the, the big surprise, John. I think it's Georgia being all the way down at number three. Right. Right. I mean, and I, I love Ohio State and I like C.J. Stroud and the, the weaponry in general for Ohio State. And I get we're only talking about the 2022 season, but let's not kid ourselves and act like this is not the defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs. And this is not a Georgia team that, oh, by the way, if we're looking at uh, if we're looking at impressive wins. Right. Well, based on the way the college football playoff rankings committee has put this thing together. Tennessee barely beat Alabama at home, the number six team. And meanwhile, Georgia throttled the number eight team in uh, Oregon to start this season, right? So if we're only going based off what the college football playoff rankings tell us and what the final scores of a couple of games wound up being, then, you know, to me, you know, Georgia being all the way back in number three, I think is a little bit surprising. I would have thought it would be Georgia one, Tennessee two, Ohio State three, And then, you know, either Clemson or Michigan for right there. Again, does it matter a whole bunch? No, it doesn't because Tennessee and Georgia are going to settle this thing uh, like gentlemen or we think gentlemen this uh, this coming week. So that part doesn't really matter. But uh, I am surprised that Georgia isn't the top top billing here.
0: Yeah, the other one for me was Clemson over Michigan, because you you look at the AP and the USA Today coaches poll, and Michigan's four in both of those, and Clemson's five. Again, it it's early. A lot of these things seem to sort themselves out. Like you know how I was frustrated last year when Oklahoma came in and I believe it was ninth in the initial college football playoff rankings, despite being undefeated. Things kind of sorted themselves out, and it didn't really matter for Oklahoma. But uh, it's interesting, at least, because the way this sets up is okay. If Georgia's three and Tennessee's one. If regardless of who wins, the other team could still very much be in the top four. And you have a situation also with Ohio State and Michigan that whoever wins that game, both of those teams could theoretically be in the top four. So you could have top four teams that like two from the SEC East and two from the Big Ten East in your top four theoretically could be your college football playoff. Now I don't believe that they are going to be able to keep a a undefeated Clemson team out or, but it's going to be kind of interesting as, as we get down the stretch, like which of the non division winning teams in the top five is going to be able to kind of assert themselves and and be a college football playoff contender. That's, that's to me, the most intriguing part of, of all of this is the setup in that, Okay, if Georgia beats Tennessee, does Tennessee fall out of the the top four? I don't. I don't know how you could. And likewise, if Tennessee beats Georgia, like they just lost to the number one team. Obviously, a lot of it's dependent on how the the games go. But even so, like, okay, I just lost to the number one team. and You're going to punish me for losing to the number one team, or if you're Michigan, you lose to or you beat Ohio State. Okay, well, Ohio State's a top five team you're going to punish Ohio state for losing to a top five team. Like it's going to be really uh, that to me, that's the most fascinating part of it. I'd love to just be in the room and get inside the minds of these guys, because like I said, you could, in theory, have, you know, two teams from the sec East and two teams from the big 10 East as your college football playoff uh, participants uh, come January or come late December.
1: Well, and I know it bothers some people, but it's not the craziest thing to just think about three sec teams, period making this college football playoff this year with uh, Georgia and Alabama being who they are and what's still left on the the table, uh, just scheduling wise. I mean, if it plays out that way to where obviously they all finish with uh, with the one loss, then, you know, it's, it's going to be an argument to be made, right? I mean, it's just, it just is what it is. It, it, they would have that argument. Uh, Clemson. I think if they're unbeaten, it's going to be really hard to leave Clemson out TCU You know, I mean, I could see a scenario where TCU goes unbeaten if Clemson's unbeaten in Ohio State and one of the SEC teams is unbeaten and another is, you know, a one-loss team. Then uh, I could see a scenario where maybe TCU's on the outside looking in, which that's, uh, you know, for TCU, starting out at 7, similar to Oklahoma a year ago, right, where you were unbeaten and you started out kind of way back in the pack. I think sort of right about that same area, were they not? Oklahoma was 7 or 8 and uh, was unbeaten. So not a ton of respect there for TCU. And, you know, with all due respect to TCU, you know, does their resume look as good as any of the teams in front of it? I mean, by virtue of being unbeaten, yeah, it looks better than uh, Alabama, I guess, but beyond that, probably not.
0: I think a lot of it just comes down to their non-conference schedule. Like they don't get a whole lot of respect for beating Tarleton and – I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but it wasn't very impressive. And so, you know, you look at Alabama. Yeah, they got the one loss, but it's to Tennessee, the number one team in the college football playoff ranking. It's kind of flesh out your scenario a little bit. Say, you know, Tennessee beats Georgia. And then in the SEC championship, Alabama beats Tennessee. You've got a situation there where it's going to be hard, like you mentioned, to to keep either of those teams out, I would think. But then Georgia is going to have a really strong case for being in the top four as well on TCU. It's it's looking likely that no matter what they do, they're gonna have a hard time breaking into the top four. I think if yeah, if there's a bunch of one loss teams, then I think the playoff committee will kind of feel beholden to put an undefeated Big Twelve champion in there. But I think it's gonna be really close. It's gonna be really really tight as far as the Pac-12 goes. They're gonna need a lot of help. I think uh, you know whether it's USC or Oregon, I don't know if they're gonna or you know, yeah, I don't know if you, yeah, UCLA still has a shot to get in there. I think. Um, but I don't think it's going to matter much for that conference on their ability to get into the, into the playoff.
1: Yeah. I mean, they would obviously need a ton of help. And right now, do, do you see Michigan losing anywhere? That's not at Ohio state, I guess versus Illinois could, could be a possibility though. Uh, I mean, I think most people feel like Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois, as much as this has been a nice story for Chase Brown and the Illini, I don't know that a lot of people think that Illinois is winning that game versus Michigan. And kind of a similar story, right, for Ohio State. We could do this game with a lot of these teams, like Northwestern, Indiana, Maryland. Ohio State's not losing any of those games. Yeah. They're, they're unbeaten when they're playing Michigan. So that, uh, that makes it really tough for some of these other teams from the Pac-12 to where – it's just it kind of feels like one of those teams either Ohio State or Michigan is going to be unbeaten. We'll see about the SEC champion. I mean, one-loss SEC champion we know is getting in and one-loss SEC non-champion might be getting in too, right? So I mean, that just makes it tough for everybody else.
0: And this is why it's going to be a ton of fun when they have the college football playoff expansion to 12 because then yes, we're going to be arguing team you know people will be arguing about 13, 14 and 15 and 16, but These one loss teams that are power five conference champions, they're going to have a chance and you're, you're really, really good. Like LSU is playing really, really good football right now, but has zero shot at winning the national champion because they got two losses on their resume. Whoever loses the PAC 12 championship. I mean, Oregon could lose or USC could lose. Those are both pretty good teams, at least as far as we can tell based on what we've seen out out in the PAC 12, they're not going to have a chance but they could be at large bids in an expanded college football playoff. So Josh, any more thoughts on this? There are four big 12 teams that were mentioned that were inside the, the top 25 Uh, TCU. We talked about Kansas state came in next at number 13, 13. Thank you. And then you had Oklahoma state back there at number 19, sorry, 18. 18, and then Texas at 24 surprising that Texas is in there. Or not?
1: Uh, Probably helps them, obviously, right? The teams that uh, they've lost to a couple of them. Uh, The Texas Tech loss doesn't look all that great anymore for Texas. It could have looked better. You know, obviously, if Texas Tech hadn't uh, gotten absolutely throttled right by uh, Baylor, it would look a lot better. But, you know, the Alabama loss is good. And the Oklahoma State loss, even though they got uh, manhandled by Kansas State, is still a solid loss on the road. So to see them in one of those final two top 25 rankings, not, not totally shocking. Right. I mean, I don't know that necessarily I would make a strong case one way or the other that they do deserve it or don't deserve it. But, uh, am I surprised that they're there? Not really.
0: Yeah. And to the people who are like, who cares? What What's the matter, man, rankings are just fun. Like I like lists. And so it's just fun to talk about. It's fun to look at. And it kind of gives you a bit of a sense for how they view these teams because they use this information, not just for the teams at the bottom, but for the teams at the top. So when TCU, when they, if they beat Texas, they can be like, Hey, we beat it. You know, it's a top 25 team that we beat or, you know, take Kansas state. Like TCU gets a bump because they beat a good Kansas state team, a good Oklahoma state team. If Oklahoma is able to work themselves into that top 25 college football playoff rankings. Not that it'll matter for Oklahoma, but it strengthens TCU's resume a little bit more. So again, it doesn't really matter, but it, it's the jockeying of it all. It's the framework, the, like the foundation and it lays the foundation for how they're going to ultimately decide who those top four teams are in the college football playoff. And so it may not matter, so to speak, but it does provide context for the decisions that they're making. And I think that part matters. So take it for what it's worth to you. If you don't care for it, I apologize. Actually, I don't apologize. I enjoy it. Josh enjoys it. Some people out there are going to enjoy it. So college football play- playoff rankings, we may not do a full segment on it every week, but the first one, we definitely had to talk about just to lay the front, the foundation for the stretch run of the college football season. Hope you've enjoyed it. Well, hasn't been as great as it should have been for the Oklahoma Sooners, but at least the last couple of weeks have been good. We'll have that. And on that note, we're going to close the show, and that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Again, we're free and available on all platforms. And until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then. Boomer Sooner.